entertaining and informative radio for the Sunshine State. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. From the maker of Gone in 60 Seconds, the chase thriller of the 70s, comes the chase thriller of the 80s, The Junk Man. From junk cars to movie stars, Harlan Hollis is the American dream, worth millions, and now someone wants it all. Yeah, the junk man lives with his life on the line, they're trying to kill him and he's running out of time. He loves his cars and he loves his child, he's a millionaire and born too wild. Decided to get into the movie making business. He was in the auto junk business, and now he collects stuff. His fans from around the world gather here to pay tribute to a great American legend, the brilliant star of East of Eden, Giant, and the classic Rebel Without a Cause. Arlen B. Hollis will hereafter be referred to only as the target. Deadly assassins with their aircraft and speeding cars close in for the kill. He did his own stunts in his movies, but this time he's driving for his life. The Junkman brings you intense high-speed action. Witness the destruction of over 150 vehicles and some of the most daring airplane car and blimp stunts ever filmed. Yeah, the Junkman drives like a bat out of hell. His dreams come true like a ring and a bell. The bombs and the bullets are coming his way, and his money won't help him get away today. It's time to put the fun back in the theater with entertainment for the entire family. The Junkman, two years in the making. The chase thriller of the 80s, rated PG. Junkman. And now... Hey, Rocky, watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat. Again? Nothing up my sleeve. Presto! <laughs> no doubt about it, I gotta get another hat. Now here's something we hope you'll really like. Hey, this is Wayne Carini from Chasing Classic Cars. And you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google, 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 TadTalk1340.com. And you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. We are downtown Clearwater, aren't we, Bobby? Yeah, okay. Last time I checked. Okay, and then uh, you can visit our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you miss any more past shows, you can 600 and some odd shows, um, you can go to NostalgicRadioAndCars.com, the archive page. Hey, we're coming up on uh, 12 years here in, uh, what, another couple, oh two, gosh, three weeks? Oh, gosh, yeah. Let's see we're gonna, here. We're going to have to do an anniversary show here. We will be on the... 
10th. May 10th anniversary show. Look at that. I well, just well, wait I just announced it. <laughs> you just announced it. What was, what was, was it the 13th? We were supposed to do another right. 10th episode. Okay. But the 13th would actually be the Friday. Okay, so, so we eh. started 2010, and today it would be 2022. Well, That's 12 years later on the 10th. Unless you want to make it. Yeah, okay. You know, okay. We're going to make it to 17th. I mean, we, can, we have these uh, power to make these decisions here, so. Oh, yeah, 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 we do. Hey, so what's this? This is the Be Local. Is this, yeah, uh, you the can see this? Be Local bagel? Greater Clearwater. Okay. Uh, this is a part of Harbor Bluffs Living, and um, I'll end the show here and on a big, 4 o'clock uh, on Thursday. WTN has a nice big spot in there. Tan yeah. Talk band, uh, yeah, yeah, ad, yeah, yeah, yeah. full page ad, where you can uh, figure out how to call us, how to listen to us, and you can see Nostalgic Radio and Cars it's in the first column. Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Wow, we are in print. Yep. Yeah. Not so that we haven't every, been in print every, before. Every but, uh, three months, you can uh, run out to your mailbox and uh, just look at our name. <laughs> look at our name. Okay. <laughs> and, of course, the beautiful pictures that are inside. All right. Well, we'll give the lady uh, a plug that does Kevin, this yeah. show. And, uh, yeah, tell her show's when? Every uh, Thursday, Thursday, right? Thursday at 4 o'clock. And it's about local businesses that, uh, advertise that are in this? the magazine, yes. Okay. Yes, yes. And it's the Pinellas County, what? Uh, Largo? Har- Harbor Bluffs and Clearwater Harbor are Bluffs? Uh, the two different magazines. Harbor Bluffs? What about Beller Bluffs? Bel- well, Harbor Bluffs is part of that. Oh, well, it's it Harbor Bluffs Living. But Bel Air uh, Bluffs follows, falls in there. Bel Air falls in there. Okay. So all the bluffs get to be in the... All the, all Bel, the, all the Bel Air, sorry. Ah, Excuse me. The, oh, okay. <laughs> well, well, and good. all the bluffs. And all the so bluffs. So if you're on a bluff or a Bel Air, you can be, you can be yeah, in that one. Well, we used and to be as in the for, bluffs. And as for us over here, we get to be in uh, Be Local Clear. That's right. All right. So what's coming up here? Well, obviously, if you want to find out where the car shows are, go to flacarshows.com. But they don't have everything, but most everything in the state of Florida. So I goofed up. Walter Bitty wasn't last week in uh, Rhode Atlanta. It's this weekend. Um, our good friends at Barber Motorsports, May f- f- uh, 19th. Uh, at the Barbara's Photo Sports Museum in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, I've done a number of appraisals for their for their for some of their cars. And uh, it's really kind of a, the probably the foremost motorcycle museum in the country, if not the world. I mean, it is an amazing, amazing museum. And there are some cars, and I believe, from what I understand, George Barber, which is Barber Motorsports, has the largest collection of lotuses, I think that's what he collects, lotuses, in the country. So my friend Mike Clark, is it Mike Clark? Lee Clark. Lee Clark is the, uh, is the uh, well, he's semi-retired now, but he was the um, restoration manager for them. And him and I were pretty good friends, and I appraised a number of cars for them over the years. 918 Porsche, um, the 1,000-horsepower Shelby, uh, beautiful 55 Austin Healey. Um, some interesting Mercedes Benzes that were used on a world tour, and um, custom made 230 SL or two, uh, an SL of some kind, SLK. That's what it was. But at any rate, uh, if you get a chance, you need to go up there for that. And in the fall, they have a huge motorcycle gathering, and uh, it's a lot of fun with a swap meet, of course, no less. But this is a vintage race. This is an HSR event, just like this weekend in uh, Road Atlanta. And there's something like 300 cars. I mean, I will tell you, if you love vintage cars. And you don't want to get involved in the politics of all the racing that's going on today. And, you know, the cars today are basically modern day. Just they're kind of spec racers. You know, they got them kind of, you know, classified and limited and stuff. 
But if you go to the vintage races like HSR and SVRA, the car, those are real race cars. Like they raced back in the day. I mean, you look at those cars, you can tell it's an Austin Hill, it's a Jaguar, it's a Porsche, it's an Aston, it's a Camaro, it's a Mustang, or what it might be, you know, an MGB or a Triumph or something like that. I mean, the car, you know, Lotus 11s, Lotus 7s, you know, all those kind of really cool cars, you know, a Begra. For example, if Alan's listening, and we got a real interesting guest coming on, possibly next week, and then Alan might be sitting in because Alan's far more well-read than I am because he has more time to read where I'm too busy working all the time. And not that Alan doesn't work; it's just that he somehow has his his clock is off a little bit, so he tends to kind of say, "Hey, Alan, he just finds time to read." Okay. Well, he has a attention span that's probably better than the. Two of us combined. Combined, yeah. He's a tension span. He's a super intelligent guy, yeah. But anyway, and he's a damn good mechanic, or, too, you know, so. We're just here like, oh, let's play music now. Oh, boy, okay. <laughs> Come on, commercial. <laughs> anyway, and uh, all right, so uh, what did we do this weekend? Well, I, you know, I've been going up to the Villages car shows now for the last four years, on and off, Bobby and I. And I've got to kind of know some friends. Some I have some friends up there now, believe it or not, in the Villages. It's kind of neat. I like it up there in Lake County. And part of it's Marion County, and part of it's now uh, moving into dumpster. I mean, Sumter County. <laughs> but anyway, they're all over the place. So slowly moving into the to the list to the Tan Talk Radio s- Network yeah, yeah. range. Yes, it'll soon be Florida of the villages. You know, because the whole state's going to be the villages. And uh, so already be, the village of Pinellas. So yeah, why not right, just exactly. move right in? So at any rate, um, so they're in Bushnell, which is if you go up I-75 and you get off in the 48 exit, State Road 48, right, Bobby, which runs into that cute little correct. town there. Okay, Bushnell uh, if you're from there. Yeah, Bushnell if you're Bushnell from there. Bushnell if you're from Pinellas County. Is that what it is? Okay. <laughs> anyway, farm country, farm community, um, soon to be the villages. And uh, but at any rate, on the east side, on the west side of the interstate, there's a motorsports park. Now I drive by it every once in a while, but I thought it was a racing go kart track where they where you had to have your own go karts. I did not know they had rental carts. So my friends from the villages invited me to go over there. So we met there. This was on Friday. So I took time off from work to go goof off, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And um, so we get to the track. The carts are pretty nice. Now it's called what is it? Bushnell Motorsports Park, right? So a big shout-out to Brett and his wife and everybody up there because it's a very, very well-run track. And it's very technical. Um, the first time I went out, let's just give you an idea. The fastest time out there right now, and it has to be in a racing go-kart, is 55 seconds. The next legit fastest time uh, is 71, 71.3, 71.4, 71.5. And our good friend Clint, Clint Hicks, okay, he's in the Legends category. I did not know that. Okay, so when we went out there... Okay, we went out there, a couple old guys, a bunch of old guys from the villages. Okay, now you don't be, you know, just because they're from the villages, don't think they're old guys because there were some pretty hot shoes in that crowd. I mean, the your average 80s station is now considered the uh, median age. Uh, I out guess. There now. I guess. Well, they have a great radio station in, up there in the villages. What is it called? VL something? What's it called? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, VLG something, uh, VLG, whatever it uh, is. They're, they're one notch above us when you're heading up I-74, I- or I-75. Uh, okay. Well, anyway, so out on the track, we go out there the first time, and I just kind of diddy back, because the first thing you do is you want to get to, you know, feel, feel for the car, and, and all the cars are pretty evenly matched, okay? So it's not like there's one car faster than the other, although there might be. You never know. They aren't going to tell you. You might just get lucky. You wonder if somebody beats you by five seconds. So anyway, so my first time out and around, and it's up over and around and all this kind of cool stuff, and a little bridge you go over and a little bridge you go under, and, it, and it's kind of neat. And uh, so I ran an 82, but I was just kind of goofing off. And so the next, and then I kind of picked it up a little bit, went a little faster, a little faster, a little faster. Okay, so the second heat I went out there, 
And uh, I got a little bit more daring. Now, if you guys know what, on racetrack, you always see, like, on the corners, on the apex, it's just before them, just after them, uh, or coming out of the turn, there's all these these little uh, little pieces of concrete, and they have a little, they're like a rumble strip, and they got alligator, and they got colors on them. Those are called alligator strips or rumble strips, whatever you want to call them. Now, typically, if the if you if you're really flying and you got to take it a little wide, that's what they're there for. So you don't hit the grass and, and go as they call it in the in the real world. OC off course, okay. DNF did not finish. You know all that kind of stuff, and or, or crash, um, and then you're totally black flagged. But at any rate, so I went out there and as I got more and more familiar with the track, I I took full advantage of the alligator strips and uh, or the rumble strips, whatever you want to call them. And I shaved five seconds off my time. And, uh, but what was funny is I was coming up and, and I was on like my fourth lap on my second heat and I got tagged in the back and I go, dang, you know, well, this guy blew past me. Well, he caught me just on a turn and there's this, there's a couple of hairpins in there. Okay. And I tried to catch him because what I wanted to do, this is what you do. If you're racing, particularly in the golf, golf cart, go-kart, golf, not golf cart, go-kart. That would be in the villages. That would be in the villages. Okay, but if you're on the truck, like when we used to club race and we'd been down Sebring, okay, you try to find the fastest car and you follow his line. And whatever you do when you're, when, you're, when you're driving and you're racing, you have a line, you stay in your line so you don't cause a wreck. You know, and, and get in front of the guy in front of you because he's probably got either the same line or a different line. Or, you know, he's probably slightly faster than you. Well, I tried to catch this guy because I wanted to follow, find out what his line was so I could follow him. But he just got ahead. So I got in a little traffic. Couldn't do it. Anyway, where I'm going with this is the Bushnell Motorsports Park up there in Bushnell is a lot of fun. Now, there's one. There's a track in St. Pete, but it's basically a giant parking lot. This one is a dedicated track. It's really, really cool. We're going to have Brett on, I think, probably in the next week or two. And uh, that was a lot of fun. But anyway, so that was my excitement. And then on Sunday, I went to the Mission Inn because the MG Club had a big meet over there. And it's probably, oh, I don't know, 100, 150 cars, MGs, MGBs, MGCs, MGTZs, TCs, uh, just, you know, midgets, uh, just all kinds of cool stuff was over there. And really, really, really nice stuff. And, of course, the Mission Inn is just a great setting over there in Lake County. Right, Bobby? It is. On that note, I'm going to go ahead and have you fire up the stereo, and then we're going to bring our special guest on, because we're going to continue with our designer series, automotive designer series, and this is part two with our guest from last week, the fabulous Jack Telnack. Okay, so anyway, so uh, don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We're going to have some fun tonight. Should, should I uh, intro this song uh, real quick? Uh because it is a popular one here. The music of your life on the <laughs> Tan Talk Radio Network. Thank you. 
Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Green Cars, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This is part two with the uh, legendary head of Ford's Global Design, Jack Telnack. The fabulous Jack Telnack. Jack, how are you doing this evening? Oh, great, thank you. I love that fabulous part. You love that? <laughs> I figured you did. Well, let me ask you a question. I'm going to just, I guess, now, is it true that a lot of the designers for and some of the yeah the designers and kind of like the real creative guys within Ford, GM, Chrysler and I'll use Don John DeLorean as an example were you guys all kind of very fashionable back in the day I think that's a very true statement yeah yeah that was that was that was part of the uh, admission to get into the business yeah, you had and then I think the pace was set by uh, Bill uh, Bill Mitchell over at GM and Harley Earl, and of course George Walker at Ford, who was our who was our first vice president of design, and he was he was a real fashion plate. I mean, they, these guys always look sharp. Oh, no question about it. So now let's talk a little bit about Gene Bordnay. So he so where did where did he play fit in? Uh, relative to to Mr. Walker, because I knew Walker was in design, and then didn't he later become president of Ford at one point? Is that what it was? Uh, no, no. Uh, Walker was the first vice president of design, and then Gene Bordnay uh, became the vice president of design when Walker retired. Okay. Uh, and both uh, both were fashion plates, if you will. Okay. So they with with now and Walker, I don't know too much about. With Bordnay, I remember reading up because I know he was involved in quite a few cars. But they 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 parallel him as the Bill Mitchell of Ford. So what's your character your your characterization of him? I think a lot of people did feel that way. I, th- I think he personally felt uh, somewhat of a competition between himself and Bill Mitchell. Uh, I remember when we were doing one of the uh, uh, Continentals. Uh, I think it was the Mark Seven, if I'm not mistaken. And he, because uh, Mitchell was told that uh, the Mark Six was a little too soft and uh, so important. <laughs> 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 it was a very sharp edge. 
next uh, next generation of continental is I'll show him and and it was so there there was there was a little bit of a competition going there yes yeah very definitely now here's a question I have to ask and I and I was trying to ask a friend of mine this because there was a gentleman I met that worked in Ford Design and I can't remember his name but I met him after he retired from Ford and I met him at uh, Steve Pastiner's um weekend uh, like on saturdays he has like that cars and coffee at the bookstore there on woodward avenue and uh this gentleman rolled in with an aston martin and that was back in the day and i believe you were also there still involved when ford owned jaguar aston martin and i guess jack nasser was president or kind of like the the top dog there with ford motor company why don't you shed some light on what, um, because you were involved in, in some of the stuff going on with, with Aston Martin and, and, and Jaguar at the time, correct? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I can remember, uh, we, actually, we bought uh, Jaguar. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever heard of it. Sight unseen. We were in competition with GM. Okay. I think the main, the main reason we went after because it was a, at the time, it was a bit of a money loser. At the time, uh, I think the main, I, it was never written down any place, but I believe, one of the reasons we bought it was because Bill Ford, Sr., William Clay Ford, loved Jaguar. He always drove Jaguars. Really? On the Ford Motor Company. And uh, I think our, our director, our managing director at the time, Red Poling, I must have had direction to just get Jaguar. They knew GM was going after it, so we outbid GM for it. And I was there we, uh, in, uh, in England when we went for the first tour of the Jaguar facility. And uh, it was it, it wasn't very impressive. I mean, it was uh, I, I won't say it was a Doctor Zhivago operation <laughs> with dirt floors and landers, but it was it was a bit primitive compared to our plants. And uh, after we bought them, then we brought in uh, uh, some of our people, uh, engineers and plant people from Germany, and really shaped the place up. And uh, and uh, turned really turned around, turned around the quality of the Jag, uh, Jaguar also. But uh, we had a, a good designer there. Uh, but we had then I I, I had uh, gave competition to that design group with our our design groups around the world, coming up with some of the new Jaguars. So it, uh, it was a pretty exciting time. So when you left, when in the late nineties, ninety seven, ninety eight, is that when you retired? Uh, right, ninety eight. Yeah. Okay. So the new so Aston Martin was part of the Ford family at that time. There's a lot of similarities between the the next generation Jaguar and and I'm a Jaguar fan myself. Um, Jag and uh, and Aston Martin. There's a lot of similarities, and really interesting today when you look at the 2015 Mustang. And, you know, me being a Ford guy and big Mustang guy, I see a lot of Aston Martin in that new Mustang. Now, I know that was long after you left, but the basic design, when they came out with the mid, the early 2000s um, Vantage, which I think is kind of like the, the Aston Martin hot rod, in my opinion, you know, the little V8 short wheelbase car, and, uh, and the Jag, uh, the XK series, a lot of similarities, a lot of platform interchangeability. Tell us a little bit. Were you involved in, in in any of that styling and that design just before you left? Yes, because uh, and there should have been a lot of similarities because we the body central was the same on both those cars, and it was the uh, and it was Walter Hayes who was head of uh, public relations for Ford at the time, who uh, worked with uh, Jaguar and worked around them and wanted to save uh, sorry with Aston Martin and wanted to save Aston Martin since we bought it. 
and uh, what can you what can you do? How can we do that? We we need a new car. He said, can you do a takeoff on the, with the basic Jaguar body, the body central? And we said, yeah, sure, no problem. You just give us a shot at it, and uh, and we did. And that's I think that's why you were seeing some of the similarities there. But again, it was uh, very successful once we did bring it around. So when, you, when we talk of platforms, and let's go, and I'm going to jump around a little bit. Okay, so when we when you came up with the Fox body, the Fox body was the Mustang, the Capri, the Fairmont, and the Zephyr at the time. And so when they talk about platforms, where does that put you guys? Like, because the, the Fairmont obviously looks like it's a little stretched on the Mustang, but it has the same wheelbase, I believe, unless the pan's different. I'm not sure. But... Is it basically to consolidate costs and stuff like that? Is that really why you share and overlap platforms as much as they do? Oh, absolutely, because when you think of all the engineering that goes into the basic platform, yes, and this is where the designer really plays an important role in the in the uh, of the car. And if we can, I think you brought up a great example, to take a Mustang off a Fairmont body, you know, which is a fairly high boxy sort of design. Uh, nothing that sporty about it. I mean, it was a good sedan. It was a great car. But to pull a Mustang off that was uh, quite a challenge. Uh, uh, a lot of people said you can't do it, but uh, I think I mentioned last week we yes. did the unusual, unusual thing of raising the cowl on that car. And I always go for a low cowl to get a hot car. But we had to raise the cowl on that package just to get some slope to the hood, get a little more sportiness to it, turn it into a Mustang. But uh, yeah, we, I think we used a little bit of designer magic or ingredient X, if you will, to uh, pull off a Mustang on that platform. But it, it, it obviously worked. Well, and then the other car, which I believe is also a Fox body, is the Mark 7. Now that, truthfully, when that car came out, that was a stunning Lincoln, the Mark 7. Yes, yes, I agree. Yeah, and, and uh, Still is, still looks good on the road today. Now that's that was one of your babies too. Oh yes, yes, and uh, of course then the like the the body central of that was shared with the T Bird. That's right, the Thunderbird. Yeah, the Thunderbird. Okay, so when you say body central, and I say no. let's say Fox body chassis, define for me, kind of put it in perspective, so I kind of get a visual of what we're talking about here. Sure, I'd say. Uh, everything, say, the, from the windshield. As a matter of fact, the doors were common with that uh, between the Thunderbird and the Mark then, the Mark Seven. Okay. And uh, but it had a, a unique roof and unique quarter panels and all. But but the uh, the floor, the frame, all was uh, all common with, between the Thunderbird and the Mark. But uh, I think we had some fairly strong uh, design elements uh, in front and rear and, and side view of the car to be able to pull it off and. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think very very many people recognize that we were sharing common doors and a common windshield and common platform at that time. But it, it, it worked. But again, that, again, you know, a good designer should be able to do that sort of thing. Well, you know, it's interesting you mention that because when I was in the wrecking yard business in the 80s and 90s, we used to get a lot of uh, Mustangs, Fox Bodies, Thunderbirds, Lincolns. So with those of us in the wrecking yard business, we have our little Hollander books, 
And our job is to figure out how to cross over stuff. So, you know, I mean, obviously the hot setup was was take the, the some of the V8 stuff and the, and the brakes and the disc brakes and, and some of the suspension components out of the Lincoln, put them in the Mustang, you know, because they came with four lug. We needed five lug. You know, so there was all this crossover stuff. And, and when you're in a junkyard, a boneyard business, you know, you're kind of playing around with it all the time. And then there's always somebody that walks in that's already screwed around with it more than you have. And he he's an education in himself, you know, telling us about what fits, this, that and what interchanges. But last week you mentioned something about be sure to remind you to tell me a wrecking yard story. So let's hear your wrecking yard story. Yeah, a number of years ago we were down, I took my family down to Puerto Rico Uh and then the taxi driving from the airport to the hotel on the beach, we passed a wrecking yard and uh, on top of a heap of wrecked cars was an Australian Fairmont, which was a stretched Falcon, Australian Falcon. Uh-huh. And I looked at that and I thought, oh my God, you know, when you think of all the time and effort and the detailing and the, the tweaking of the lines and moving the lines a sixteenth of an inch in there just to get it absolutely perfect, the thing that dawned on me when I saw this Fairmont on top of the pile of the cars is they kind of all wind up there at the end. And it's, 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 you say, was it worth it? The answer is, yeah, it was worth it because we sold them. <laughs> They all seem to wind up in that graveyard somehow or other, which is not a very pleasant thought, by the way. No, no, but you know what? The thing is, is they get all the parts that, you know, we salvage as much as we could. We repurpose as much. And I mean, today, I mean, I started out in the vintage Mustangs. So I was buying 65 to 73 Mustang parts cars, parting them out. And when I look back, the cars that I parted out were better than half the cars they fixed today. That's how bad it is. But with all the reproduction stuff, and there weren't any reproduction stuff around when I started in the late 70s, early 80s. Now you can build basically a Mustang out of a box, and then if, or if you want to go to Orlando and pay 200 grand, you can have uh, uh, Tom over there build you a, a brand new Mustang with uh, Ford's blessing. So there's the. But anyway, all right, so I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of your early days, and uh, specifically Alex Tremulus. Now, he's very famous car designer. He was with Auburn, Cord, Cord, Auburn, Auburn, and Duesenberg, and then, of course, the Tucker. But then he did a short stint at Ford, and I think he worked basically around the big three there for a while. But tell us about your experience with him, and how much influence did he have when you were you know, contemplating on being uh, the fabulous Jack Talnack, the head of Ford Global Design. <laughs> well, I think uh, I think I mentioned last week that uh, when I was I met him when I was 16, uh-huh. I had uh, set up a meeting with uh, designers at Ford and GM, and I met Alex and I showed him my all portfolio that I had of car designs, and Alex said, "Yeah, great stuff, kid, but go to the art center in California, which was the only school that uh, had courses in design, featuring automotive design." He said, come back and see me when you graduate. And I did, and he hired me, and I started working for him. And uh, and he also worked, uh, by the way, for Kaiser Fraser, did some of the Kaiser Fraser. But I think the Tucker was his big fame, and he was mentioned in the movie Tucker, if, if you recall. Right. I can't. Right. I don't know who played the role of Alex Tumbus, but he did kind of look like him. He had a little mustache and very much like him. But uh, uh, I'll never forget when Alex was just so influential in not only with me, but with the other young designers. He, he was an exciting guy to work with. Uh, he, he, when I first got there, he was working on the 64. There was, it was a, a concept car that he did with a very simple body side. It had a chrome strip running from the front to rear all the way, a very low horizontal type fin on the car. And uh, very clean, very clean car. It was an exceptional car. And uh, he, uh, 
uh, one story is on my he found out it was my birthday, which was April the first, and he just took delivery. I was just took delivery on a '58 T-Bird convertible. He had it you know, tricked out a bit with uh, black wall tires and a, a stick shift, which was unusual for a, a Thunderbird at that time. Everybody had wanted automatic. And uh, he, when he heard it was my birthday, he gave me the keys and said, here, take it for the evening. I said, wow, really? And I think I was, I was 21 years old. <clears throat> and I took the car, and I had a couple of my buddies, and we went out on Northwestern Highway here in Detroit, which was the local drag strip. And I was uh, racing with other cars through <laughs> the transmission, through the transmission. And I didn't know what to do. I, I said, oh, I had to have the car towed back into the company. And uh, I faced him the next morning, walking into the office and handed him the keys. And I said, Alex, I am so sorry. I don't know. I, I thought that was going to be my last day in design. And this is the neat part about Alex. He patted me on the back. And he said, that means you had a great time, kid. Good on you. And I said, wow, really? I still have my job. That was Alex. Yeah, he just uh, he just wanted to have a good time, and he loved cars, and he liked other people to have a good time with cars too. But he was very big in uh, aerodynamics, and I think he was a, a large influence on me. When it came to aerodynamics, and which uh, influenced a number of the cars that I got involved in, like the Taurus. Well, starting with the '79 uh, uh, Mustang, and then working into the uh, T-Bird, and and then the the Taurus, really was able to push the aerodynamic idea. But Alex really was the one who grounded me in aerodynamics. And he, Alex was the kind of a guy that he and his wife, Chrissy, I know uh, he was telling me a story one time that he was here driving on Route 66 out in the Arizona desert. wanted to tell her how important aerodynamics was. So he was in his Thunderbird convertible, a two-seater convertible, and he was going, I don't know how fast he was going, say 60, 70 miles an hour, and he told Chrissy, his wife, he says, open your door, he had the top down, and he opened his door. And they, as they opened the door, the car slowed down. He says, see, that's the effect wind has on a car. And I never forgot that story. <laughs> to prove, this, prove the, the importance of aerodynamics in a car and how it, how it, it, it affects it and how it, it's important to do the right surfacing on a car so that you, as he, he had a, he had a famous saying, uh, don't, don't, you know, don't torture, your design should not torture innocent air. Well, yeah, it's very graphic, and I've always gone by on that. But, uh, but anyway, he was just Alex. Just a great guy to work for. Well, didn't he? Didn't he work uh, with an aircraft company for a while? Have an aircraft Second background? War, he did. Second World War. Yes, he was down at uh, in uh, Dayton, Ohio, at the air base in Dayton, Ohio, and coming up with a number of uh, different concepts. Of, uh, you know, from he he did. But way back when, back then during the war, he was doing two-stage rockets and all this sort of thing. But they're just concepts, you know. He just he just had that kind of forward mind that he uh, would think about these things. I mean, he, he didn't get into the engineering of it and how it would be fabricated and all, but these were concept ideas that eventually came to pass. But uh, yes, yes, he did. All right, let me just jump. I'll just digress for a second for the Thunderbird. Okay, so was the Thunderbird, because believe it or not, in 58, 59, I'm not sure about 60, but I think 5859, you could get a three-speed on the column was a standard Thunderbird. But like you said, everybody opted for the automatic. However, was his car a floor shift or was it a column shift? Do you remember? Well, that's a good question. I, I, I've got to say it's a floor shift. It must have been a floor shift. 
So if you were at Ford and you were a designer and you had a little bit of influence, would it be fair to say that you could say, hey, look, guys, uh, let's whip something up for me? Well, he, yeah, I think he did. He had that car specially built for himself. He had export suspension on it, and you know, it, was, it, was, it was tricked up in the right way. So nobody knows whatever happened to that car? Oh, no, no there's so many of them. No, no. Uh, now, that would be an interesting I, car to find. If we could find the serial number of that car, we might be able to track it. It might still be in somebody's garage, lurking in a garage somewhere in Dearborn. You never know. Oh, but and another 58 T-Bird uh, belonged to uh, George Walker, who was our first vice president of design. Yeah. And he was a very flamboyant uh, uh, vice president. I mean, the way he dressed and all was just uh, phenomenal. And he, remember, he made the cover of Time magazine in 58. And it was a picture of him sitting in his white T-Bird with a white interior, white leather interior, white mouton carpeting, a white dog. And he was wearing a white suit. I guess it was a sign of purity. Wow. Uh, he, uh, <laughs> that would be another interesting one to find someplace. But it, uh, he, he was, uh, George was a real showman and, uh, you know, a glad-hander. But a, he used to call him Jovial George. And he, he used to uh, douse himself with Fabergé. And walk around the uh, studios and shake his shake his hand. He's he's trying to shake all the designers' hands and the modelers and all. And your hand would smell for about a week of Fabergé. <laughs> <laughs> but he but he uh, but the guy was terrific. And he he I felt I had a little just a little bit in common with George. Uh, uh, I mean I never had a close relationship with him, but I you know, did know him. And uh, he. He was responsible for doing the 49 Ford, which is a very breakthrough car, 49, and it saved the company. I don't know if you're familiar with the 49 Ford that much. I am, but not the story about him saving the well, company. Everybody changed. Or Ford, GM, and Chrysler all changed because it was after the war. Mm -hmm. uh, they got out of the 46 and 48 uh, bodies. All had new bodies. But the 49 Ford really, really, you know, it was just a super clean car. And by the way, the 49 Ford was actually designed by a designer by the name of Bob Cotto, Studebaker, who did it on the side at home, and he brought that a, mo a model that is uh -huh. brought it to South Bend, Indiana, and he brought that model to Detroit and showed it to George Walker, and then George Walker presented it to management, and that's when they approved the because the forty nine Ford was going to be a forty nine Mercury, you know they would use the same body for uh -huh. the Ford and the Mercury, but when they saw this forty nine Ford model and did a full size of it. They decided that that is the car, and it was obviously very successful. Well, the only reason I, I bring that up is uh, because it really saved the company back in '49, and I felt I had something in common with George Walker, aside from being, I, I thought, a dresser at the time. Uh, when we did the '86 Taurus, uh, a lot of people said the '86 Taurus saved the company because the company was in dire straits at that point, and I can recall our, our chairman coming into the studio while we're designing the Taurus and asking if we'd gone far enough, or if you reached far enough, is this really a breakthrough? He's like, we, we need something there to make a strong statement out there because we're losing too much money. We have to beat the competition. I said, yes, sir, Mr. Caldwell. Uh, I think, trust me, you can, uh, this, this car will do it. And this is just when we're working on the clay models. And uh, so I felt that I had something a little bit in common with George Walker and that his 49 Ford was was very aerodynamic. Although we weren't talking about aerodynamics in '49, but uh, it it had it, it looked like an aerodynamic car in '49 in, in terms. 
And of course, our 86 Taurus was very aero, and we pushed the aero uh, theme on the car and uh, in our advertising and all. So uh, I, felt, I felt a little bit of a connection with him because it, the both cars had a tremendously positive impact on the company. Well, let me ask you this. Interesting that you bring that up, and then I want to jump around a little bit, talking more about designers. But so, when you design the Sable and the and the Taurus, uh, or vice versa, what would and 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 you worried about the aero design, and it was all about looks, but it's also about efficiency as well, you know. And 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 so, at at a at what speed does the aero design start taking effect to where it would? Uh, have an impact on on mileage on a vehicle. That's always been a debate, you know, because we used to talk about, oh yeah, it's got bullet mirrors on it, you know, less when you resist, blah 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 blah, you know. And so, but when you start talking about design, I mean, did you guys put this thing in a wind tunnel? Did you? I mean, was it done with computers? So the question is, is always at, at at low speeds, we always say, well, that doesn't make any difference as far as mileage, the aero design, but at high speed, it definitely does. But at what speed does it start taking effect? And was that part of your design? Um, themeless, so, so to speak. Absolutely was, yeah. And we started out with uh, ill models in the tunnel doing this. Uh, we did a lot of CFD, compute, uh, computational uh, dynamic uh, studies on the car, and then with full-size models in the wind tunnel. And, oh, yes, we, we, we did it. We, and we, I think we were able to convince people, well, I'll, I'll start with the Taurus, we were able to convince management that, uh, you know, aero was, ooh, this is the coming trend in automotive design, and, and we, will, we will get better fuel efficiency with this, which was a big issue at that time, still is, mm-hmm. and, uh, mm-hmm. and we, it, helped, it helped us sell the design of the car in-house. Uh, it, it, I, I really played on it, and I, you know, I go back to Alex Trump, now I'll jump around, back to Alex Trump, who was always pushing aero design. And uh, this was the first time that, uh, well, one of the first times that I had to really arrow as a, uh, an important tool in designing the car and rationalizing the design of the car. And I, oh, but your, your question, too, to answer your question, I believe it starts taking effect around 45 miles an hour. 45? Okay. The difference, yeah, yeah. Let me ask you another question. Talk about designers. Now, Edsel Ford Sr., you know, Henry, uh, Henry Ford's son, Edsel Ford, who was responsible for designing the Lincoln, the, the Continental, which is the 4041 Lincoln, well, 39, 4041, has always been one of my favorite Continentals. And Oh, yeah, that's what got me started in the business. But, yeah, go ahead. What a stunning card. Now, when you got the Ford, see, Edsel wasn't really recognized as a car designer. He was basically Henry Ford's son. He was responsible, instrumental in Mercury. That was his one of his, his cars. Uh, obviously, acquiring Lincoln Continental at the time. And sure. but he did some design stuff, and he was really close with with Greg, Mr. Gregory, and they did a lot of stuff together. And then, so where I'm going with this is when you started there in the late '50s, were was Etzel Ford uh, acknowledged as a designer? Did any of his influences impact any of the future designs or his philosophy of the designs of of Fords to come? Well, I think that the uh, yeah, say the. 39 or 40 or 41. The 41 Continental was my, my favorite. As a matter of fact, I can recall my dad taking me to the Ford Rotunda, the big display building, Ford display building in Dearborn, Michigan. Mm-hmm. It was originally designed for the Chicago World's Fair in 1934. He had, Henry Ford had a disassembled and brought to Dearborn and recreated. 
my dad used to take me out there before the war, before the Second World War, and I saw the 41 Continental there. And uh, I just fell in love with the car, and I said, this is this just a thing of beauty. It was, it was rolling art, if you will. Yes. And that car, yes, I, 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 it, it, had, it had a significant impact on, on, on a lot of it. The, the, uh, the, first, uh, the first Thunderbird, the two-seater Thunderbird with its uh, solid C-pillar and all, that, that whole formal C-pillar on the Continental, the long hood, short deck, and the solid C-pillar, influenced a lot of the things we were doing at the time. And it certainly influenced all the Lincoln Continentals after that that had that kind of a seat pillar. But yeah, yeah, a very, very significant car in design. And it was uh, Bob Gregory, who lived right here. I, I, I live on an island here in Detroit, which I share with about 8,000 other people. And Bob Gregory, the designer of that car, the, 40, the 39, 40, 41 Lincoln Continental, lived on this island. I didn't know him at the time. But uh, I did meet him down at, with uh, Bill Warner down at uh, Amelia Island uh, several years ago. And uh, it was just a delight meeting him. And uh, had a, a tremendous impact on that. That whole concept, long hood, short deck, very formal seat pillar, influenced us dramatically. And even, even on the first, must, the first Mustang, Bill uh, Horace, who ran the project, he was uh, running the Ford studio, when we set out the design parameters, he, he wanted that formal seat pillar, long hood and short deck on the first Mustang, 64 and a half Mustang, which was a definite takeoff on the Lincoln Continental. There's no question about it. That had an extremely strong influence on it. Well, the, the, the Mark II Lincoln as well. I mean, very close, very similar. Modern-day version of the 4041 Continental. Oh, oh absolutely. No, no question about it. No, well, it's, it's, uh, yeah. yeah. Were you there when they uh, when the first um, Lincoln Continental, the first suicide door car, the the sixty one to sixty nine series cars, you know the suicide Lincolns, which I've always had an affinity for those cars, particularly sixty one since oh, I own one. Fabulous. And uh, were you uh, were you uh, fortunate enough to be part of any of that design at all? No, I was fortunate enough to be there, but I wasn't in that studio at the time, and. Uh, it was at the time they're trying to approve the uh, uh, the sixty the sixty T bird and the uh, sixty one or sixty one yeah sixty one Lincoln 60. and sixty one Thunderbird yeah the Bullet Bird right the Bullet Bird which I think was a terrific car that was done by Jimmy Powers uh -huh. terrific car too and uh, uh, again there's there's that there's that combination and those cars the clay models of the the T bird and the Continental were in competition with each other. They wanted them both. They were they were both running as Continentals. And I, I, my understanding, when the committee looked at them, they, they said, we've got to have a Continental, we've got to have a Lincoln. And we've got to have a, sorry, we've got to have a Thunderbird, we've got to have a Lincoln. And they decided, but they'll make Jim Powers, the, the what you call it, the bullet, the bullet uh, Thunderbird. Mm -hmm. and, and they took the Continental with the, the slab sides, again, a formal C-pillar, a very aerodynamic front of it, uh, and made it the the kind of the sixty one Continental, which is still a, a terrific looking car. I mean, you still see them at auto shows, and people have tricked them up a bit. And uh, uh, one of my one of my all time favorites. I did, matter of fact, I did a uh, a concept car, thinking uh, oh before I left, called the Sentinel. And uh, it, again, it was I have I have one in my office, a model of it in my office here. It's a flaps, uh, very 
simple slab sided car with a, a chrome strip running the peak of the fender all the way back to the rear end of the car and formal roof. I put a very Lincoln, uh, almost a 41, a contemporary 41 Lincoln Continental front end on the car. Uh, I still, and I still think that would have been a good way to go with, uh, with Lincoln, but, uh, we went in a number of different directions for a number of different reasons, but yeah, it was still the 60, 61 Lincoln Continental, still the one of the most classic, beautiful cars on the road, I think. Oh, yeah, you got my vote, of, vote, vote on that one as well. Um, somebody else I want to talk to, um, Henry Ford II, the deuce. Um, did you pals around with him at all? Was he uh, approachable for you? Yeah, I can't say I pals around with him, but I did uh, get to know him. When I was running our studio over in uh, in Europe, uh-huh. we had three studios in Europe: England, Germany, and Italy. And he used to come into uh, fly into London, and then we'd bring our cars in, play models into London, rather than having him come out to the studio review. And we'd have the cars all set up in a special showroom that we had there. And Henry would get there about six o'clock in the morning before the rest of the committee would show up. And I had, and I would get there early at six o'clock in the morning to make sure that all the cars, everything was set up properly. And so I, it's a, not almost by accident, but I had these one-on-one meetings with the Deuce uh, early in the morning. And uh, of course, I, mean, I was just, I was a pretty young guy at the time. I think I was 30, 38 or something. And, uh, but at age, so he was like a father. And he, the nice part about meeting him is he, he really wanted to know what I had to say about design. I was pushing these more aerodynamic front ends, lean back, uh, lean back front ends and all. And, uh, and he said, yeah, okay, well, you know, he would be over there quarterly. Well, the next time you're over here, Mr. Ford, I'll show you some of the competition, the way they're going and why we think we should go this way. And he, he allowed us to do it, and, uh, which, is, which is a real uh, change of pace for us in the Ford Motor Company. But, yeah, he, I, I just looked upon him as a, as a father image, and I thought, well, you know, I've, got a, I've got a wife and two kids, and I, I, I got a lot riding on this with conversation with him because a lot of the people said everybody else told Mr. Ford, what they thought he wanted to hear. I wasn't necessarily doing that. I, I told them really what I believed in design-wise, and that seemed to work. And we had, so we had a very good relationship after those, those meetings, and he was the one who uh, requested that I come back to the U.S. and start the uh, Mustang studio back in the U.S. Uh, for the 79 Mustang. Would you say, would it be fair to say, and, uh, and the only reason I say this is because couple of my friends in the parts world, we have wound up with a couple of unusual cars that were, if you look at the seatbelt buckle, it says H. Deuce, okay, and Roman numeral, Henry Ford, H.F. the Deuce, okay. So we ran across a Cougar with a 428 and a four-speed, leather interior, leather seats, leather headliner, weird stuff, four-speed. Same thing with a Continental. Uh, my friend at Lincoln Land had a Lincoln Continental out in California that had H.F. Henry Ford, Deuce on the seatbelt buckles, weird stuff like that. So my understanding is he was pretty much a serious car guy as well. Oh yes, oh yeah. You, you, those are the real. Those would be. Those are real collectible items, I think. Oh yeah, he was. The Deuce liked car. He enjoyed cars too. And then his his brother, uh, William Clay Ford, of course, uh, was head of design, and he had an innate design sense, and he was the son of. Etzel Ford. Well, they're all sons of Etzel Ford. Right. But, uh, but William Clay Ford, I think, uh, picked up all the design genes from his father, Etzel Ford. And, uh, yeah. 
Well, Jack, we are up against the clock again. I hate it when uh, when the checker flag comes down this quick, but uh, I truly enjoyed having you on the show. Uh, down the road here, we got some uh, schedules coming up, but we would love to have you back again down the road because I'm sure it could come up with more stories because I love to hear Ford stories. I mean, last year we did a special. We started out with uh, Mo Nolan and a couple other guys, and we ended up with a bunch of guys from Carcraft. And it just went on and on and on. We had uh, Alan Grant on, and we just did, you know, it was like one Ford thing right after the other. For the first four months of the year, we just did nothing but Ford. And I'm partial to Ford anyway, so it's, and it's my show. I can do that. But at any rate, we would love to have you back again in the future and tell some more Ford stories and design stories. Because one thing I didn't get into in this one episode was I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, um, like, the concept cars. So the next time we have you back on, what I want to do is I want to talk a little, I want you to share some stories about concept cars before you got there, after you got there, the mindset of how the whole concept cars kind of, you know, the evolution of it a little bit. And uh, and if there's still some secret stuff going on that we don't know about and, uh, you know, how that all works and everything like that. But for the most part, again, I want to thank you very much for hanging out with us here at Nostalgic Radio on Cars. I'm delighted to do it again. Really great talk with you, Robert. Well, I, I truly enjoyed it. It's, uh, it's been great. And then hopefully I'll see you at Amelia Island sometime or the next time. Because, and we, had, we, need, we need to talk about boats and Chris Craft. So, yeah, we could do another show. So uh, I'll keep you in the loop, and we'll schedule that, and we'll, uh, we'll let you know when that happens. Love to do it. Thank you very much. Jack, you have a great time. Thank you for coming on the show, and uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks, Robert. Take care. Okay. Hey, listeners, I want to thank all you guys for tuning in here every Tuesday night between 7 and 8 p.m. for the most legendary names and fascinating names, legendary and fascinating names in motorsports, right here at Nostalgia Radio and Cars. Don't forget to check us out here. Tell your friends about it. Follow us on our social media. And don't forget all the car shows. In the meantime, everybody stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. WTAN, Clearwater. FM 106.1. WDCF, Dade City. FM 102.3. WZHR, Zephyr Hills. FM 104.3. Listen.